Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Friday, August 4th starts now. On today's show, Ben welcomes back the People Show co-host. You may know him from YouTube, Facebook, or intellectualradio.com. Ben brings on Mark Wallace. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and a whole lot more. It's all there. And if you want more Ben Jarofsky, hey, that's there too. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-B is in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. Uh, We're calling this uh, Mayor Johnson Says Yes Friday, and here's why. Well, actually, it's Oh What a Week, and my distinguished guest, Mark Wallace, who's sort of like a man for all seasons, a renaissance man. He's a podcaster. He's a businessman. He's a political troublemaker. He's a dear friend of this show. I don't know in which order it is. be going through a week's worth of news with me. I'm looking forward to that. But I just want to give a shout-out to Ronnie Reese. Ronnie Reese is the press secretary uh, to Brandon Johnson. And I've been bugging Ronnie Reese for about ever since Brandon Johnson uh, got elected to uh, get uh, Brandon Johnson, Mayor Johnson, to put on his schedule uh, an appearance for First Tuesdays, our show that I do with Maya Dukmasova. And yesterday I got the news. They're going to be our guests September, uh, the September 5th Tuesday show at the Promontory in Hyde Park. Northsiders, come on. You can do it. We discussed this last week. There's a part of the city of Chicago that's south of Soldier Field. Just pause for a moment. Let that sink in, Northsiders. Whoa, south of Soldier Field. You can come on down to the promontory. Uh, Brandon Johnson, uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson will be there. I He's got like a whole bunch of things. Ronnie Reese explained to me like he's got to be somewhere in the far south side. He's going to be coming up. So he'll be coming north. Hey. Northsiders, this is going to blow your mind. Just pause, okay? I'm going to say it slowly so it doesn't overwhelm you. There's even a part of Chicago that's south of Hyde Park. Just pause and think about that, Northsiders, for a moment. Whoa, mind blown. Chicagoans. I am not of you, Chicago. I've been living here for 40 years, but I know you're a very tribalistic people. (laughs) This is my little corner of the city, and I'm not leaving. But come on down uh, to um, Hyde Park, uh, September 5th, Promontory. It's a great club, uh, great acoustics, uh, and there's wonderful music there. Wouldn't, but not that night. We'll be talking politics, my and I, uh, uh, with Mayor Brandon Johnson, September 5th. So I'm really looking forward to that. All right, without further ado, uh, Mark Wallace joins me. And uh, Mark, first of all, welcome back. It's been a while. You're looking good. Thank you for having me, Ben. Um, you know, I think that uh, the 
the addition to Northsiders not uh, recognizing that there's another part of Chicago on the south side, there's some politicians that uh, don't recognize the south side of Chicago, south of Hyde Park until election time. <laughs> and who would you put on that list? That Every August one of them. List? <laughs> Every one of them. Oh. Uh, wow, they, this was not on our list to discuss, but one of the fascinating things, this guy's an old political ally of yours, Anthony Beal. You mentioned this, okay? And, and so I just went here, which is how my brain works. Well, he's an, the, issue, he's an issue ally, allied. I'm not a political ally. I just want to carve that out. Fair enough. And uh, issues go very to, uh, issue to issue. So at one point I read lights, uh, he was an issue ally. And I give him credit for that. Okay. All on, a, on, a, on a carve out of the speed cameras. I, I don't want to give him too much credit. Okay. Carve out, carve out of, of the uh, speed cameras of reversing a policy of Lori Lightfoot. Okay. All right, man. I'll tell you what. Mark Wallace is precise, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but he led the charge against the, the minimum wage, the mayor's, Mayor Johnson's uh, uh, proposal to raise minimum wage and tipped employees. And he was deferred and published it. I was like, wow. You know, I just like some of the things that the city council does. We haven't had a really good deep dive city council conversation in a while, Mark. We're probably not going to have one in this particular episode because. Uh, it's summer, kind of things are kind of calm there. But I just thought that was very strange. I mean, of all the people to lead the charge against helping um, like working class folks, it's the alderman from the Ninth Ward on the far south uh, east side of Chicago, which is not a wealthy ward. So well, I would expect that. Yeah. Don't forget that he also supported the Republican candidate, Paul Vallis, and endorsed them for mayor. Yes, he did. He did do that. So maybe there's maybe the far southeast side has elected a Republican. I know in name he's a Democrat. Well, certainly uh, a defector. Yes. And we had that conversation. Uh, Mark Wallace, if you guys want to check that one out uh, and you can learn what manumission is. And I'll just leave it at that. That was a conversation we had. I want to say in May, Mark Wallace. All right. So the uh, number one uh, topic in America right now is Donald Trump. It's even the number one topic on the Chicago Sun-Times. I like to tease the Sun-Times, Mark, because uh, Sun-Times very much views itself as a local Chicago newspaper. And the last time Trump uh, was indicted, where was the secondary indictment on the, uh, the theft of the classified documents, when they updated the indictment, they didn't even put it on the, <laughs> the front page. But here we go. You could see my beloved Chicago Sun-Times. The indictment has a little corner in the... The bottom right, his arraignment, I should say. Donald Trump was arraigned. The former president of the United States was arraigned on the criminal charges that essentially accused him of trying to engineer a coup to uh, get reelected when he actually lost the reelection. Uh, and he will probably be the Republican nominee running as a man uh, who is now facing three, count them, three uh, indictments, uh, criminal charges. And the Sun-Times... We're lucky to get that little corner of the paper because you know what? It was the first day of Lollapalooza, Chicago. So come on, priorities. I uh, just have to tease it sometimes a little bit. Come on, guys. It should be front page headline news. The uh, most, critical, the most yeah. critical legal case in the history of America, and it gets a blurb from <laughs> Chicago Sun-Times. 
Mark, it just like sums up everything about my life in Chicago. Yes. It's like, here, I'll show it to you. So you don't think I'm kidding you. That's it right there. Here's Lollapalooza above it. Ah, we are a weird city. All right. You call it the most critical. I know you have a lot you want to riff on uh, on Donald Trump. Uh, so riff away. Why do you say the most critical? Go ahead. The floor is yours. Well, never in the history of the United States of America in 46 presidents have we ever had a president try to overthrow the government and throw out millions of votes uh, and completely disband democracy in the history of this country before January 6th of 2021. It has never happened before. And this man has engaged in criminal activity of trying to strong arm states, trying to secretary of states of Georgia on the phone for more than an hour, threatening, threatening the secretary of state that they would be faced with criminal charges if they didn't commit a crime. What Donald Trump has done to this country on so many levels is sad, is sick, it's reprehensible, and he must be held accountable for it. He must be held accountable for it because the injury that we have uh, in this country between just everyday human beings, what that one person has done is beyond uh, any real understanding to really comprehend it. It is, um, uh, it, I don't quite have an adjective for it uh, at this point, but I think that that is nothing to gloat about. Now I will gloat the day that he has on an orange suit and he goes into a, pr a prison, whether they put him in a place where he's isolated, but he should be held to account uh, for what he has done. A man who held what some would consider to be the most sacred seat in the United States, uh, the most important seat in the United States, uh, and in the world, for that matter, to have abused uh, that seat to try to turn it into a Kim Jong-un or a uh, Vladimir Putin after all of the millions of lives that have been sacrificed, blood spewed, uh, people's commitment to making the country what it is, not perfect, but what we have to make better to try to destroy that that person uh in is one person and that is donald trump who uh did that and i think that uh, people should not allow for their emotions if they care about the country and if they care about things being better uh in this country and us moving in the right direction then partisanship aside we should be looking to what is the right thing to do. And that's basically how I look at things. I don't care what party you belong to. I'm a Democrat. I'm probably a liberal as some people would call. Uh, but if a Democrat was doing the same thing, I would be saying the same thing and I would be looking for them to be held accountable. This is a matter of what's right and wrong, not about Democrat versus Republican. That's what this is about. And that's what any reasonably intelligent 
person of character should want to happen in this situation so that we save the most sacred thing that we could have is our democracy to build upon that to try to make lives and cities and communities and the country better. Well, that was a good riff. Uh, and uh, I agree with you. We should have done this. We should have done this a long time ago. Uh, and uh, that leads me uh, to this point uh, that I've been thinking about for a while. It's coming together with more conversations I had. So I just uh, did a recording with David Ferris, the political scientist, drops tomorrow. Uh, and we were analyzing Mike Pence's reaction, uh, Vice President Mike Pence's reaction, where he stated this is a very serious matter. And he clearly stated that Donald Trump tried to get him, Mike Pence, to throw out votes. Tried to get him to subvert the election. He said that. Okay. And when he when to hear it come out of Mike Pence's mouth, uh, Mark, I was like, yes, thank you for taking that stand. And then David Ferris pointed out to me, this is like how low the standards are in our country. Mike Pence knew this on January 6th. There is nothing that Mike Pence has learned in the last two years that he didn't know on January 6th. We as a country, would be so much further along had Mike Pence on January 6th, when, when they came back, when the Senate came back, follow me in this, Mark, when the Senate came back on January 6th, after the insurrectionists were cleared from the Capitol, after the insurrection that sent all these MAGA congressmen and senators, along with their Democratic uh, peers, scurrying for safety. Okay, so they were very much feeling the threat of the moment. If Mike Pence had gotten up there and had said what he knew, which is that Donald John Trump tried to steal this election, I was the recipient of his bullying, and I cannot sit in silence any longer. We'd be so much further ahead. I believe there would have been an, more Republicans to vote for impeachment subsequently. But because he was silent, that's part of the reason we are where we are. Mitch McConnell was effectively silent. He did not whip up the votes for impeachment. Merrick Garland took his freaking time before he finally got around to appointing Jack Smith to be a special counsel. Mark, Donald Trump, quote my friend Norm, gangstered America. He gangstered them. He intimidated them. He intimidated Pence. He intimidated McConnell. And he intimidated Merrick Garland. And only now are we finally standing up to him. And I wonder, is it too late? Your thoughts on what I just said. Well, uh, first of all, I, you know, the last, well, one of the previous times that I was on the show with you uh, and um, with Monroe, I said, that we have to be patient and we have to allow for uh, the judicial process and the investigation to methodically um, take place because they were going to have to put this together like a spool of threads. There cannot be any wiggle room in this. And I think 
that Jack Smith, Merrick Garland, Jack Smith have done this. Now, I think I'll give a little bit of pushback that I don't believe that Merrick Garland was bullied. I think that Merrick Garland was taking what, you know, the approach that he has to be methodical because he got to get it right. There was no wiggle room for him to get it wrong to let Donald Trump off, off of the hook. Now, I think that Donald Trump absolutely gangstered the Republicans, gangstered them, treated them like B-I-T-C-H's, right? Uh, absolutely gangstered them. And they abdicated their duties and responsibilities and they revealed to the American public that they were not the so-called patriotic people that they like to wear that flag on their lapels and pretend that they were. Um, Mike Pence should have said to the Senate that Donald Trump has, and to the Department of Justice, he should have gone to um, the, the attorney general at that time, Bill Barr, and they should have been writing articles of charges for the president to present to the Senate that day. That day, Bill Barr and Mike Pence uh, certainly should have led that charge. They should have been talking to uh, Mitch McConnell and saying this. Now, Bill Barr jumped off the Trump train, you know, in a, in a few days, but I think they all abdicated their responsibility to protect the people of the United States, every one of them. Now, um, Mike Pence in the last 48 hours just grew a conscience to come out and suggest that Donald Trump should not be president of the United States. He just made that decision because just two weeks ago, he was saying, well, it feels like a political uh, you know, witch hunt. But all of a sudden, after the indictments, and this indictment is so methodically written that a sixth grader can read it and see the crimes that were committed by Donald Trump that these people already knew about, and they were hoping that it would just go away rather than doing their job to protect the Constitution and to defend the rights, the fundamental rights of every American that they all so hypocritically speak about. I think they have no credibility. Yeah, I, uh, that riff about Mike Pence, I, had a, I was smiling because you're right. He knew two weeks ago the evidence he gave Jack Smith when he said it may have been a witch hunt. And I, I do believe and this may sound naive. I'm always doubting my, whenever I'm about to make an assertion about people doing the right thing, I always go, Ben, you're being naive. But Mark, I do believe that that element of the Republican Party, maybe 30%, that, that realizes and recognizes uh, that Donald Trump went too far, will assert itself in the... Um, upcoming Republican primary season. And I don't know how they're going to assert themselves. They're sort of like examining DeSantis. We'll get into DeSantis in a little while. 
Uh, you're our show's uh, Florida experts. So we're going to take a little deep dive on that one. But I do believe that that 30% will assert itself. And the, I always point it out this way. Um, Liz Cheney, the congresswoman from Wyoming, got approximately 30% of the vote when she was swamped by a MAGA uh, opponent uh, because she opposed Trump. And she joined Democrats in trying to uh, reveal to America what Trump had done with the insurrection. And so she was punished by MAGA, uh, kicked out of office. But she got 30% of the vote, Mark, in a Republican primary. I believe that 30% is consistent across the board, and it will assert itself. Hasn't asserted itself yet. Hasn't figured things out yet. It's kind of like thinking of Ron DeSantis, but he looks like a loser. Uh, so it may swing to like Tim Scott or somebody else. Mike Pence, that was a political move yesterday. That was not a move of courage. No, that was a political course. move trying to get that 30%. Your thoughts? No, I, I, as I say, none of them, none of them at this point have any real credibility. Now, um, I will go so far as to say that there are some other Republicans within the House and within the Senate that don't get uh, any press because they're reasonable people uh, and they see that this is a problem. But I think that there is a such thing that I adopted from um, a, um, a woman by the name of Dr. Laura Schlesinger, who says that, you know, we have to have character, courage, and conscience. Um, and I believe that if these people have character, courage, and conscience, what they would do is that they would organize a press conference and they would do a national press conference before the country and they would be coming and denouncing Donald J. Trump and what he did and his criminal activity um, and that they are joining anybody, including Democrats and independents and other like-minded Republicans to save the democratic process and to reboot our constitution um, as we once knew it prior to uh, what Donald Trump has done to try to rebuild this country. If they want to show that they have any type of character and courage and conscience, that is what a responsible person in public office would do, mm. period. What are your uh, MAGA friends? You must have some MAGA friends. Uh, saying to you, defend uh, Donald Trump. I, um, I read the quotes in the news. I, I got to tell you, Mark, this is going to be embarrassing. Right now, uh, I've not been exposed. <laughs> this is an embarrassing revelation here. Don't hold this against me. I've not been exposed, literally exposed to like a MAGA person, hardcore MAGA person in, in a while. Uh, I will see them at the bowling alley in about a month. Uh, but I haven't been exposed to any in a while because bowling's been down for the summer. So I've not been exposed directly uh, to the MAGA refrain. I've heard it, you know, on the uh, in sound clips, on the TV, I've read it in the newspaper, uh, but I've not been exposed to it directly. Uh, what are your MAGA friends telling you as a defense for Donald Trump? 
Well, thank God I don't have any MAGA friends that I know of. Um, and um, none, I have not had a MAGA person to engage in a conversation now. I, um, I, I, I guess I would have to give him, uh, you know, assign him uh, somewhat in that field. And that is my co-host, uh, Charles Thomas. Uh, now he, uh, you know, goes back and forth, right? Because he doesn't want to ever appear that he's supporting the Democrats at, uh, now. And, uh, he hates Joe Biden and, um, <clears throat> you know, it, it almost sounds like, you know, they were in a park somewhere and they had a fight and he lost to Joe Biden, uh, his, his visceral disdain for Joe Biden, uh, at this point, but, I don't really have any MAGA uh, friends and I haven't engaged in a conversation with a MAGA person and any person who asserts themselves as a MAGA person, most of those people don't speak intelligently, so, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, and I don't really spend a lot of time with dumb people um, in conversation. So I, thankfully I don't have any MAGA friends. All right. So a visceral opposition to Joe Biden. Yes. And I'm thinking about Joe. How could you have a visceral opposition bordering on hatred for Joe Biden, who's a quintessential American politician? Unless you hate all politicians. And Charles Thomas, I know Charles. He's, he's He was a political correspondent for years. If you're a political correspondent, you like politicians. That's who you deal with on a daily basis. And Joe Biden is about, Mark, he is so, he re, he's just like, as, as I say, the quintessential American politician. Every step of the way, he's promoting bipartisanship. He calls other, his opponents, his friends. He talks about my friend on the Republican side. He's always been like the cooperative guy. He, you know, he may like throw you an elbow when you get, in the middle of a tussle, but when it's all over, he's like, oh, I'm sorry about that. He moves up. That is a classic American politician. You know, he kind of follows which way the wind is blowing. So in the 90s, the wind was blowing really hard on throwing people in jail. A lot of Democrats were doing that, ladies and gentlemen. It wasn't Joe Biden, just Joe Biden. So he went that way. Now there seems to be a little wind blowing, a little, heavy emphasis on little, toward being, I don't uh, a little compassionate to people caught up in the system. Uh, so he's blowing that way. How could you have a visceral hatred for someone? Please explain that to me. Well, if you have become a sycophant and a, um, um, uh, and a MAGA um, card-carrying member, you have a visceral disdain to Joe Biden. That is a part of the indoctrination. That is what I say that Donald Trump has done to people is that he has brought this visceral disdain and hate uh, that you can't even call disagreement uh, that and uh, in, in just in this country, I mean, I know family members, family member, blood family members that don't go to dinner anymore. They don't talk to each other because of this whole Donald 
Trump syndrome uh, of this 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 cloud that that he has done. So um, so people with all of the things that the people and listen, I was never a Joe Biden fan, never a Joe Biden fan. Um, but I'm also a person who recognizes that every human being has the ability to grow, develop, and change. That's why I don't have a problem with this age thing. I want somebody who has made some bad mistakes, who have made some missteps, but who understands the process, and who better to be in that position to understand that than Joe Biden? Joe Biden is the president that he is today because of all of the years experience that he had in the legislature, but more significantly because of the eight years that he sat watching a black man being eviscerated by an opposition just because he was a black man in power. And Joe Biden, I believe, said that if he became president, he would not allow for that to happen, and he was going to do much better in that position. And I believe that who can argue with the progress that the country is making through the times that we have come through with what Joe Biden has been able to get support and administer to happen? I don't understand how you can do that, except that you are a loyalist to um, that cult. No, I, I, by the way, I, I'm with you about the age thing. I kind of smile at it uh, because it really, what matters is what positions you're pushing and your age is less important. Um, and this notion that somehow or other uh, Democrats would be more responsive if it was a younger president. I don't think so. I think Democrats, I say this all the time, have totally been gaslit. And I, and I, I do I disagree. I think Merrick Garland was too cautious uh, uh, in this. Uh, they, he, I believe he was gangster too as well. Uh, but just in general, uh, Democrats have been gaslit. And so they just have this, like this, they they feel compelled to express an opposition to Joe Biden, and and I say this, Mark, I always make this point: if you're a lefty Democrat, Joe Biden's not your guy, and I'm a lefty Democrat, so there are many there are other Democrats that speak more to where I what I want, but I'm no more than twenty percent of the vote in any Democratic primary. So the eight, other 80 or 70%, whatever it is, let's say it's up to 30% lefties, they're Joe Biden Democrats. That's their guy. If you're part of that centrist crew and you feel compelled to say something critical, critical about Joe Biden, it's because you've been bamboozled, brainwashed, gaslit by the Republican propaganda machine. Right. Because that's your guy. That, that's, he is Absolutely. Who, who you voted for. Uh -huh. And I, that's the other, I think Democrats have been gangstered by the Republicans, Mark. I truly believe that. I, I, I agree that Democrats are operating um, like they're on the defense. I, I agree with uh, Gavin Newsom. He said, 
we should be on the offense, not on the defense. We should be on the offense of the things that that, that the Democrats have gotten done in the last uh, two and a half, two and a half years um, were astonishing. In, in many respects, astonishing. This, I consider myself, you know, these labels I kind of have a problem with, but since we're talking about them, I would fall in the lefty Democrat label, right? Um, and again, Joe Biden was never my guy, but Joe Biden has exceeded any kind of expectation I could have ever imagined. Any kind of expectation, politically, legislatively, uh, he has made great moves. Black people, you know, who certainly in terms of the positions that he has put black people in, uh, now we have a, a, a black woman who is going to be assuming the role of the president of the of NATO um, under Joe Biden's administration, um, with with the the passing of the American Rescue and the uh, infant the, the uh, uh, Inflation Reduction Act, yeah. all of all of these things that have happened that are benefiting the country and will benefit the country for decades that even a Republican leadership will be able to take credit for because we will have a Republican at some point, but they're going to be benefiting from these policies that are being passed under this administration. Yeah, I um, I, I don't understand Democrats at all. Uh, and I'll move on from that point. Uh, and, uh, Raise the question of Florida that I've been waiting to raise with you uh, for a while. Move away from Trump for a little while. Talk about the number two man in the ticket uh, in terms of the polls for the Republican Party, and that is Governor Ron DeSantis. Um, I've been watching DeSantis since 2018 when he first was elected, a very close election uh, and uh, the 2018, and he ran very much as a flunky of Trump, um, and just like Brian Kemp in um, – Georgia uh, in that election as well, 2018, both ran as flunkies of Trump. You know, Kemp showed a little backbone in uh, uh, the 2020 presidential where he stood up to Trump to a certain degree uh, when Trump tried to uh, gangster <laughs> the Republicans in Georgia into turning over their electors to him. Uh, DeSantis has played this weird game where he uh, is trying to position himself as even more extreme than Donald Trump in terms of his positions on cultural issues and culture wars of the day. Uh, but without alienating that MAGA base by denouncing Trump. So he's trying to present himself as being courageous when he's actually very cowardly. He's trying to pre uh, present himself as uh, being an independent-minded person when he, too, has been gangstered. He presents himself as a law and order type, and he is attacking <laughs> prosecutors who've got such great evidence against Trump on two fronts, a crime that, including a crime that was committed in his home state of Florida. So Ron DeSantis is a fraud. I think it's been pretty much exposed to the American people that he's a fraud. I think there's a cap on where he can go. What I don't understand is what is going on in Florida, your home state. This is why I turn to you for an explanation. 
what is going on in Florida where they not only elected this guy once, but elected him uh, again with over 60% of the vote? Has Florida, like, turned a corner, uh, Mark, that it's even more MAGA than I even – my nightmare was in t- 2018? Um, I believe so. Listen, I grew up in a all-black community that was built for military black veterans to raise their families in. Uh, that town was built in the late 1940s. I went home for, we have this reunion. And I started talking to people that I grew up with and asking them, how in the world could you all elect somebody as goofy and as nutty as this person? And I was baffled at the responses coming from black people that I grew up with who said, well, you know, he's looking out for us. I knew then Florida was in big trouble in Dade County, Florida, that largely went to Democrats. Uh, But I knew then that something has happened. COVID has flipped the people in Florida. Uh, One of the states that have one of the highest death rates from COVID because people are not vaccinated because he discouraged uh, vaccination. He wouldn't even tell people whether he was vaccinated or not. Um, So it is just beyond my comprehension how people have fallen for this guy Maybe because, you know, he's younger and has a little bit of physical appeal and he's been able to mask his dumbness, which I've said to people that wait till you see him on a national stage. He's going to implode because he can't handle uh, debate. Um, he turns into, you know, this kid with the bat, baseball and bat uh, that he wants to just run he may very well run, walk off the stage as he has done in debates uh, in Florida. I cannot understand the people of Florida, including reasonable Republicans that would vote to keep a person like Ron DeSantis in office, uh, especially with all of the things that, that he has done. Now, you know, the things, you know, going after Disney, um, because they oppose uh, some of the things that he has been going along with and, and purporting and um, banning of books, suggesting that slavery, there was some benefit to slavery from a board of people that he put into place. Um, and there's, so I don't know. I, I have really no explanation other than people were seriously impacted by COVID mentally to be supporting somebody like Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is not very smart. He's a former history teacher of a private school in Tallahassee Tallahassee someplace. Um, And 
for for a state who now has on average inflation in Dade County is at nine percent at nine percent St. Petersburg seven seven point three percent they are they have the highest insurance rate homeowners insurance rate in the country almost three times the national average uh, in the state of Florida the average um, homeowners insurance is about $4,500 a year. So how they think that Ron DeSantis, black people I'm talking about now, is a help to black people is beyond my comprehension. Beyond me. uh, The COVID issue is, uh, now that's an interesting thing. I was thinking about this. Uh, We'll get into this at the end of the uh, uh, show. So yesterday, my wife and I took the train downtown. We went to uh, the Michael Jackson show. We'll get into that. Uh, train was packed and uh, I put on my mask. (laughs) I was, there was like one other person with a mask on. Uh, The theater was packed. I put my mask on when I walked through the theater. I just don't want to get COVID, you know, and I understand I'm an outlier. I know, obviously, uh, most people don't, take these precautions that I'm taking few of the ushers I noticed at the, at the theater where I was at, were wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, I was like, give them the thumbs up. Um, but it's like America, I feel is going through this. How do I explain this one? Uh, Mark, they're like trying, they're, they're in this weird phase regarding COVID. And um, again, they've been gaslit. I mean, I'm so used to public being gaslit in Chicago. I've been used to it for 40 years. Been here, and what? Like, we're just we're, we're just bamboozled by the powers that be on so many issues. Uh, so I see it all the time. I've kind of used to it, but I never, I've never seen it like in a national issue, like COVID. If like over many people died from this this virus. Just think about how much worse it would have been had we not taken the precautions that we did. And yet the country is acting like, well, maybe we should have just not taken the precautions. And if if Donald Trump had acted uh, more responsibly, we would still have him as the president of the United States. Do you we think so still, on the COVID issue? If he had if he had been more responsible about COVID we would probably still have him as the president of the United States. Now, I'm not glorifying that he was irresponsible about that. My point is that we would have fewer deaths if he was more responsible about COVID and stopped trying to, you know, throw it under uh, the rugs. Well, that, this is a point where the gangster was gangstered. Yes. So follow me on this. Donald Trump is a New Yorker. He's not a Floridian. He lives in Florida, but he's a New Yorker. And as right. such, he's the kind of guy that goes to a doctor and go, what do I need, doc? And whatever the doc tells him, he's not doubting the doctor. Mm-hmm. Okay? So you could see doc, you could see it in his brain. He's like, I need this vaccine. I'm going to take this vaccine. This is, I need this thing, okay? Mm-hmm. Then, But he saw a good chunk of MAGA had turned against it for whatever reason. He was like, I can't go against them. So now, what he saw, what he saw was 
Now, I forget who it was, whether it was a secretary of state or a secretary of defense who, who alerted him to this as being the greatest threat to national security early on, early on that he largely ignored. But then he appointed Jared Kushner, his son-in-law, <laughs> to be the COVID czar. Now, in, in uh, uh, Jared Kushner's defense, he started putting together and amassing a team uh, of, uh, of, of, of COVID res uh, response. But when Donald Trump learned in April that black people were dying at a higher rate of COVID than any other group, he completely disbanded uh, Jared Kushner and took control of that and decided that he was going to take the approach that he did take about COVID. Um, I mean, it, this, this happened, he completely pivoted when he found out who was dying from this at a greater rate than any other group, which were black people. And so what you're saying uh, is that he didn't care there was black people. Oh, it's black, just black people dying. So I don't have to worry about it. Is that what you're saying? Well, listen, Donald Trump is a racist bigot, period. He has no, uh, nothing for black folks other than to use them as property. That's what black folks mean to Donald Trump. Anytime that Donald Trump speaks, and he always speaks in code, yeah. if you're paying attention, yeah. like uh, this latest indictment where he and his Republican sycophants are saying he cannot get a fair trial in D.C. Who largely populates D.C.? He calls uh, the thugs. You have a black judge who is well-respected, well-regarded, um, and you're going to probably have a uh, pool that is going to have a significant number of black people in the jury pool. He said the same thing about Detroit. Detroit is this big corrupt place full of criminals and thugs and dope dealers. Anytime that there are places where there are significant numbers of blacks, his language is extraordinarily denigrating because the man is a racist bigot, period, period. So um, this, is, this is who he is. This is who he is. And he's been able to mask it when he was on television and all that other thing. But when he became the president of the United States, that's a whole another, um, you know, hemisphere yeah. for him to operate in because now everything is on uh, on you. The attention is on you and it's being scrutinized very differently and he is starting to feel that now. Uh, which uh, just underscores uh, the bizarreness of your old classmates uh, from the town that you grew up in, Florida, black people. Uh, defending Ron DeSantis on COVID, uh, everything you just said—that whole entire riff—because uh, uh, your your theory being that Donald Trump changed when he realized that uh, the group most affected was not his were black people who right. are 
not part of MAGA by and large, and you didn't really care about them. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> to defend Ron DeSantis his COVID policies and his bizarre war against Fauci, which is, see, that's, that's what's happening right now. Mark, I'm telling you in this country, this, this country is accentuating whatever burdens we, we faced as a result, whatever uh, thing, sacrifices we had to make, whatever consequences there were from the COVID shutdown. We're confronting that. There was a cost. There was a psychic cost. There was a, a real estate. You know real estate better than I do. There was a real estate cost. Right now, the Chicago uh, real estate, downtown real estate market for offices is spiraling. We're trying yes. to figure out how will people go. I, do, I believe there will be a return to offices eventually. I believe that this, this will be a phase. But that's not by any means certain. So there's been many caught and the school uh, children test scores are down. Uh, there's been the people, kids lost a couple years of like their lives, essentially their high school lives, sporting lives, et cetera, and so forth, social lives. So there's been a psychic cost. And so now America is trying to say, well, maybe we went too far. I'm like, just imagine what. It's like arguing with someone. It, it's impossible argument to have. It's like if we hadn't done this, just just imagine the death. Just imagine the cost if we had. We just plowed through, you know. If we hadn't, if we had not done uh, what certainly what uh, we did to try and mitigate uh, such a horrific uh, plague. On, on society, we could have two, three, four million people dead in this country uh, from uh, from the virus and, you know, millions of others, um, you know, having what they call long haul uh, uh, COVID. Thank God my wife and I never got it. I was, and still to some degree, vigilant about making sure we wore our mask, making sure that we were vaccinated uh, and making sure that we stayed out of unnecessary uh, populated areas. Uh, and we stayed home and, uh, you know, just um, sat down. And I, and I, I contended and purported to, to others that, okay, we may have to sit down for a couple of years. Yeah. So what? You may have to stay home for a couple of years to live, to stay alive, to contribute to, you know, making sure that we don't spread this virus. But the word freedom has been completely bastardized and exploited. Yeah. All right. Let's get to uh, the opposite of freedom, slavery. Uh, and uh, that's a transition. I'd love to get your take on this. Uh, going back to Florida, going back to Ron DeSantis, the extreme point of view that Ron DeSantis has taken on the matter of our, our racial history in this country. Uh, and um, they are trying to rewrite history. They're trying to set a new standard, in my humble opinion, for conversation about race relations in this country. Uh, and uh, essentially, the point they want to make is that we should back out of the business of accentuating the negative when it comes to race relations in our country 
back out of the business of talking about the divisiveness of this issue, the fact that uh, we had a four-year civil war uh, on this matter. We're supposed to back away from that uh, and view every element of America, American history, as a triumphant march to goodness. Because that's the, we're the greatest country in the world, and that's what it's been like from the moment we got here. And so within this new confines, Mark Wallace, slavery becomes actually something that was beneficial to the slaves because they learned trades that could help them once they were freed. Uh, looking, uh, again, ignoring the fact that once they were freed meant a four-year civil war, okay? The most destructive war in this country uh, has ever had. Um, I find this as troubling as Donald Trump trying to, I, th I think it's part and parcel of the same thing, uh, trying to snatch an election to steal an election, to engineer a coup. I think it's part and parcel of the same thing. Uh, your thoughts on the way in which Ron DeSantis and his followers are in Florida are trying to rewrite the history of slavery. All of this has been licensed by Donald Trump's conduct. What Donald Trump has done as he has given license to hate He's given license to those people who have been brainwashed to be hateful people of other people just because they look different. Uh, this is all a part of what I said that Donald Trump has done and contaminated this country, that he has, like a volcano, has given people the license to conduct themselves and act any, any kind of way, even people in political office, uh, to be stupid like Ron DeSantis. Now, if the preamble of the Constitution that says we, the people, is going to be uh, in actuality, then we have to educate ourselves and everybody else. And the idea for Ron DeSantis and people of that ilk to think or to be so stupid to their own children because white children, black children, Asian children, Hispanic young people don't think like their parents or their grandparents. Hmm. Don't say to a Hispanic or an Asian or a white or a black kid, you don't point their friends out by their ethnicity because they will say to you, if you tell the truth, that's not my black friend, that's my friend. So the people from our generations and the generation before us identify people by labels. And so for Ron DeSantis and people to, to um, think so little of the intelligence of their own children, which probably understands uh, slavery better than they do or certainly have more information than they even know about on slavery. But to somehow to try and put any kind of silver lining on millions of people yeah. that were put 
into the hull of ships like fish slaughtered and slashed next to each other in chains to come across the coast from West Africa to this country traveling two to 3,000 miles. Millions of people dumped into the ocean where they said that schools, schools of sharks followed these ships because they knew that they would be getting a good meal of, of human um, bodies. For any human being to suggest that there was any benefit then brought to this country and tortured mm -hmm. and beat and raped and repopulated slave camps so that you could have people to till your property and pick your cotton and and uh, process your your textile on free labor and torture for 246 years for any person to suggest that there was any type of benefit to that is reprehensible and have no business uh, in, in any public position as a leader to suggest such an offensive statement or suggestion of that, including the black woman who was going around saying that she thanked God for slavery in a church. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. So what do your friends at the uh, you, you grew up with say about DeSantis on this issue? Well, I haven't had any conversations with any of my friends yet. Um, I will, <laughs> but I haven't had any conversations with my uh, friends about what Ron DeSantis, my, but my niece, who is an educator in Miami, they absolutely despise Ron DeSantis, right? Absolutely despise it. And my niece has a literacy program. She was a master school teacher who now has a literacy program in the underserved community of Liberty City. And so she has black kids, Hispanic kids, largely um, that, that in, in her um, literacy program, who they think that Ron DeSantis, uh, and that's a very small skew of people that I, but they think that Ron DeSantis is some type of a monster. Yeah. He, uh, I don't even think Republicans like him. I think that that 23% he has in the polls right now are people, again, Republicans searching for an alternative to Trump. And I do believe they're getting ready to dump a Ron DeSantis as that alternative. And uh, David Ferris put it out today earlier in the show, earlier in a previous recording I did today, uh, that they're going to rally around someone else. You're going to see that happen. He, that's his prediction uh, because DeSantis is such a bad uh, candidate. All right. No, there's no question. Ron DeSantis will not be the, the, the nominee. He yeah. will not be. Well, the, so, yeah, we all agree on that. Uh, Donald Trump will probably be the nominee. Uh, but the, the, the issue is, will Republican opposition rally around somebody else? You know, right now, DeSantis is considered, well, he's number two in the polls. So it's like Republicans who say, hey, we cannot go into the general with Donald Trump, uh, say Ron DeSantis, right now are saying Ron DeSantis is our, our choice. That could erode as time goes on and they rally around, I don't know, Tim Scott. You know, somebody else. Uh, I doubt it'll be Chris Christie, that's for certain. Uh, yeah, I doubt it'll be Chris Christie. Now, there's this other guy, and I heard him 
on the the John Pacman show the other night, who is, I guess, an Indian. Oh, uh, Vivek Ramasamy, yeah. yeah. Yes, who I, I heard him the other night, and, and uh, I didn't know about him until Charles mentioned him, so I started trying to, to hear about it, and I just happened to be in the car. John Pacman was on talking to this guy, and I thought, the Republicans, they can't get out of their way. No, that guy, he's, he was one who came to Chicago, uh, if you recall, I uh, forget how long ago this was. Uh, there was a dispute at South Shore High School about uh, uh, turning, converting the old South Shore High School yes. uh, in, into housing for asylum seekers. Uh, and there was opposition from residents of the area who were, um, they were like parroting all these MAGA lines, like build a wall and send them back. and uh, All that was, nonsense. Yeah. And uh, they were black people doing it. Yes. Uh, and uh, Swami came to Chicago to stand with them. It was kind of embarrassing because nobody showed yeah, he up. Was, he was bragging about it on the show that he came to the south side of Chicago. Yeah, he came yeah. to the south side to stand with the, the people of South Shore. And the people of South Shore said, get out of here. Right. Uh, all right. Uh, let's uh, close with something a little closer to home and a little uh, lighter, which is um, <laughs> I told you about this. NASCAR. No NASCAR. Oh my God, NASCAR! I wasn't gonna talk. What a joke! No, I was gonna talk NASCAR. I was gonna be talking about something else, but man, I was I, down in New Orleans at, at 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 my house in New Orleans, and I was just laughing in the rain hysterically <laughs> at the cars trying to practice in the rain. Oh, wow. uh, it was <laughs> it was nature's way of telling Chicago, forget it. Forget NASCAR, Chicago. You I texted I, uh, I texted Brandon. I have his number. I texted him and said, listen, this is the off-ramp for you to get off the NASCAR uh, uh, camp. You need to not renew this. This is not good for Chicago. Just the, There's a certain absurdity to it all. Uh, I mean, since we're having the conversation, I'll just go there. Uh, there's an absurdity. You are. I, 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 know, just, I mean, it's just an absurdity. Yeah. And uh, essentially, Chicago has this notion. I have this conversation many times with uh, Juanita Irizarry uh, from Friends of the Park. Chicago has a notion that park space is vacant land. And uh, you're a real estate man, so you know that the cost in any project generally includes the acquisition of the land. Absolutely. So park district land is owned by the people of Chicago. So when the powers that be in Chicago see park district land, they view it as rent free space that they could house any old thing in. So now we got Lollapalooza. We got NASCAR. They have cut off a like prime downtown real estate. Yes. From the public, from the I general mean, public. I thought that driving through downtown um, yesterday with those big 10-foot tall <laughs> black gates that encamps all of Grant Park oh, from yeah. Randolph to the Roosevelt. Yeah. I was like, what the, you know, this is I, unbelievable. Well. Unbelievable. Well, it's, it's, listen, there. So, again, this is Chicago being Chicago, 
there will never be an honest discussion. And you and I first met on the issue of speed cameras and red light cameras. There was never an honest discussion about that. No. The amount of money it was bringing in, the impact it was having on safety, who was benefiting from it, who was getting hurt, slammed from it. Was it, was it reducing the number of tra traffic accidents? There was never an analysis. It was always, this was what the mayor wanted. This is what we're doing. That is the Chicago mentality on any issue. I'm hoping it changes with Brandon Johnson. And he says it's going to change. So he's very deliberative, as I told you before the show. Yeah. At his last press conference, a reporter asked him about NASCAR. And he said, I'm waiting to see the numbers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I texted him. And I also texted uh, Pat Dow, and, uh, who I talked to. Pretty all the women, Pat Dow. Go ahead. All the women, uh, Pat Dow, who is now the ch uh, chairman of finance. Yeah. And uh, I said to her that we should take the off ramp to get rid of NASCAR and not to do this again. And of course, she said, "Well, you know, we have to do a post mortem and to see what the uh, the, the the benefits are and what the numbers are because this puts Chicago." you know, on the world stage. And I'm thinking to myself, we're already on the world stage. Everybody <laughs> wants to come to Chicago. We're already on the world stage. This is such nonsense. Yeah. So they just can't bring themselves together to say to a citizen or, or, or a decision that they made was not a right decision. Yeah. I don't understand what that is. I'll tell you what it is. I've been around the city a long time. There's competing interests that uh, disagree with you, and they're in the room too. And they're they got the same tech. You say you can text these people, you got their number. They have their numbers too. You're not the only one with their numbers. Well, and they got more in, power than I have. Yeah, right? the checkbooks are bigger. Yeah, and so because uh, I'm not writing any checks to them. Yeah, on on all issues. Uh, Brandon Johnson, Mayor Brandon Johnson, is has to weigh just a wide array. He was elected by a lefty movement, but he's the mayor of the whole city of Chicago. And there's a lot of influential, powerful people uh, that want uh, at least acknowledgement from him uh, that he respects their point of view. And so that's the game that's being played. So, listen, if he has to swap an extending NASCAR for less opposition, let's say, to raising the minimum wage uh on tip workers maybe that's maybe that's the game he's playing maybe that's the trade-off i have just sort of a, a principled opposition mark to just mark <laughs> marking off this huge chunk of public land for so for the entire summer effectively that's what yeah. we're doing i yeah. just feel like that's antithetical to the whole notion of what parkland is well that's that's a one of my favorite terms of is, is taking these antithetical uh movements and decisions um this is why i am vehemently opposed to the obama mausoleum and um you know on parkland uh and then now they're building this wall which is you know, I, I, I call it a wall because they're cutting off the south side and yeah. ending the footprint of the University of Chicago 
and Hyde Park is really what that is. Um, and so that Michelle Obama can have her uh, snow slide uh, sledding, you know, uh, area over there in the park uh, of, of this, um, what I think is going to be a complete, I think is going to be a failure. I think what, it's going the, to be a complete failure. The Obama Center? Yes. Okay, yeah. Uh, and uh, all right. So, ladies and gentlemen, just to be clear, uh, all you Obama fans out there, it was Mark Wallace, uh, not Ben Jarofsky, who called it the Obama mausoleum. I just want yes. everybody to know that that was Mark Wallace. You could send your complaints to him, uh, not to me. Uh, the, and uh, so I was going to close with a little riff on Lollapalooza, but we have uh, run out of time. Uh, I will just say this, as I was telling Mark before the show, my wife and I saw the Michael Jackson uh, show downtown last night, uh, and uh, the place was packed with other baby boomers. Um, and so the play completely dodges, I mean, embarrassingly dodges uh, the matter of Michael Jackson uh, and his pedophilia just completely dodges it, okay? So if you could stomach a play about Michael Jackson that dodges that issue, that very important issue, I urge you to see it if you're a Michael Jackson fan because it it is just some of the best performances I've seen in a long time in a stage. The, the uh, singing, the dancing, the acting, absolutely sensational, Mark Wallace. So that, if you can stomach that, if you, if you know what I mean, if you could go to it uh, without worrying about what's not being discussed, that's my recommendation to you. Uh, it, did you find out if your wife is a Michael Jackson fan? No. When she comes home, I'm going to absolutely ask her if she is and if she wants to go. Um, I'm going to do it. Listen, you know, I, I, re, I have a great deal of respect uh, for you and uh, your vast knowledge about uh, these these issues on a wide spectrum and so when you tell me that you've done something or you suggested i've got to look into it i can't ignore it so uh i'm going to uh, ask her if she if she is and if she'd like to go she'd go probably say okay i'll go check it out but I'm going to find out if she is a fan or not, and I'm going to text you and let you know what the answer is. All right, let me know, because if she's, yeah. not, a, if she's not a fan, then, then don't bother. But uh, Roman Banks, who plays uh, Michael Jackson, is absolutely sensational. That's about all I could say. This man, the moves he has, I'm still absorbing them. The, the way he walked, and he, he just captured Michael Jackson. The voice... Everything about him. Uh, and like I said, the place was packed with baby boomers. And then we walk outside. It's all a lot of Palooza people. And I'm like, man, Chicago in the summer is a trip. No, uh, I spent six hours with Michael Jackson. Yeah. Wait a minute. Was it six hours? Two different times. There were it was three hours, two different times. So uh, Michael Jackson, when he had a, um, a condominium down in Orlando in uh, the Magic Kingdom. Hmm. I was in the roller skating industry. We operated three facilities in, in Orlando. And Michael Jackson secretly rented one of our facilities because he wanted to go roller skating. And uh, so my boss and I had to fly from Miami to uh, Orlando. My boss didn't even tell me what we why we were coming there so late at night. 
And uh, we had to come to the facility after everybody else was gone to open the facility. And then he told me, uh, mm -hmm. Michael Jackson is going to be coming here. And I thought, are you crazy? You gotta be nuts. <laughs> and uh, so he said, no, Michael Jackson will be driving up. Uh, and he drove up in two unmarked white vans. Wow. And uh, he roller skated. I played the music, roller skated with him for uh, for three hours. Wow, three hours. Yeah, and then he went home. What music was was he playing? Do you recall? He anything played except for his music. Ah, uh, how old was he? Do you know what year was this? Uh, he at this was nineteen eighty one and eighty two or eighty two and eighty three. Got it. Uh, around there, so he must have been about the. Uh, 24, 25. No, nah, he's he Michael Jackson's a year older than you. Yes. Uh and so uh what year did you say it was? 1982 or 83. Oh, or 82. My bad. My bad. Yes, you're correct. Yes. You're correct. Yeah, I yes. just heard you. Uh yeah, yeah. Michael. Yeah, this uh, was before all of the changes went into his life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, who knows what was going on? Anyway, all right. Uh uh, let me know. Uh, before we leave, just to promote your podcast with Charles Thomas. Maybe I should have the two of you on sometimes so folks can get a taste of it. Uh, Charles Thomas is a conservative. Let's just put it that way. He's yeah. a conservative and proud of it. Uh, so uh, promote your podcast. Go ahead. Yeah, listen, uh, the podcast, The People Show with Mark Wallace and Charles Thomas every Monday night on intellectualradio.com. And we're also streaming live uh, at the People Show on Facebook and YouTube every Monday night from seven o'clock till nine. Charles Thomas, Mark Wallace, chopping it up, wow. uh, <laughs> going back and forth, chopping each other up. Yeah, uh, all right. Uh, Mostly screaming at each other. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> come on, Charles, you've gone too far. I'm just just me speaking to you, Charles. Come on, come on back to the left a little bit, Charles. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right, Mark, thank you so much. And I uh, appreciate you taking the time to come talk to me. It's uh, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, man. All right, very good. That's Mark Wallace. I'm Ben Drasky. I also want to thank producer Chris to win an outstanding job. Uh, I think Charles and Mark would agree on this point. Producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Take care, everybody. And remember, you can find more from Mark Wallace at intellectualradio.com. Follow The Ben Jarofsky Show on Instagram at Benny J Show. Head to chicagoreader.com to spend some time and learn a few things. And don't forget to like and subscribe to The Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.